looking at those pictures on the screen, Tom, you and I don't look any older, do we? <laughs> that was a little over 30 years ago in May of 1978, so you can figure out the time. Ted, what you were doing there is ancient. That was what they used to do before they had hymnals, when they didn't have pianos or organs. That was called lining. You would sing a line, and the audience would sing a line, and you'd sing a line, or whoever the leader was would sing a line. And that's the way hymns were taught and sung way back in the Ice Age, so to speak. I understand you don't usually have the pulpit here, but Ted said, I thought I'd better put it up there for you. Which isn't all bad. You know, in seminary they told us, if you have a weak point, pound the pulpit. And what do you pound if you have no pulpit? You're kind of in trouble, aren't you? Well, it's great to be here. We're thankful for all that God is doing for you and through your pastor and the work that's going on here. We continue to pray for you. As some of you know, I still am serving out at Royal Oaks at the Presbyterian. They're good people. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I, I enjoy that. I've been doing it about eight years. And uh, so Dee didn't come this morning because she can only take about one sermon of mine a day. And this would be two, and we don't overdo anything. The passage of Scripture... And I was amazed. Ted, did you memorize that, or was it up on the screen or somewhere? You were cheating, I see. All right. I want to just go through. It's a very short passage from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, beginning with the fourth verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he says something very important, which did not come out. Finally, brothers, whatsoever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable... If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What an interesting way in which to speak to the church at Philippi. As you probably know, the theme of the book of Philippians is joy and rejoice. If you don't know that, you know it now. That's the theme. And all through this passage that Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, He's suggesting to them there is reason to have joy and there's reason to rejoice. And so he's saying to them, don't be always down in the dumps. Look for good things. Joy and satisfaction is in reality a result of peace of mind. If you have joy in your heart, if you are rejoicing in your salvation, then as a matter of fact, the source of this is in fact a recognition of God's power and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, having received Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. You know what? Today we're living in an age of restlessness. 
On average, the American family moves every two and one half years. Now, maybe you don't fit into the average, but some do. Every two and a half years, moving from one place to another. We're restless people. College students change their majors continually, trying to find where their niche will be and where they can best operate within life. First of all, to find joy in their own hearts and then to be able to contribute something. The divorce rate continues to climb. It's now a little higher than 50%. Can you imagine the restlessness, the changing, the turbulence that seems to be everywhere? When I was a young pastor, I used to like the lawyer say, I've never lost a case. In other words, no divorces. Well, unfortunately, at this point in time, I'm not able to say that anymore. And so this age of restlessness, we have voracious appetites. We want something bigger, something greater, something fuller. Look, if you will, at the countries that we think of as third world countries. Compare with where we are and what we have. We have been blessed in this country. God has given to you and to me as residents here in the United States greater freedom, more positive opportunities, the joys that should be ours, in contrast. And yet we seem to need something to give us solidarity, to give us stability in a world that is changing so rapidly. It changes every time. You look on your computer and notice all the changes. I just get something settled on my computer and all of a sudden up pops something and said, we've changed to make it better. Better for some, not for me, because I'm of the old school and I can do things over and over the same way, but when change comes, not so easy. But there's change about us. Even as Christian people, we're looking for a relief from pressures. And I think often we look in the wrong places for that peace. We find it more difficult to sleep, a full night's sleep, some. In so doing, we take Tylenol PM. You know, that helps. That quiets you down and you sleep better, hopefully. I wonder if you can't sleep at night, what you use as a help to you to drift off and to fall uh, from the kind of feelings that are tensing within us. Those areas within our own minds that we constantly think about. What am I going to do tomorrow? How am I going to meet this challenge? The deadlines that are there, how will I do it? And our minds go on and on and on. And there's a restlessness. And we seek peace and serenity and calmness. And it's not always easy to find. Several years ago, there was a popular song entitled, Is That All There Is? Maybe you remember it. Peggy Lee was the one who made it famous. And it carried with us the thought that if all that's happening in this world is the completion of it, and if there isn't anything else to be gained, could this be all there is? Is there anything beyond this? Is there something to look forward to? Can there be? that to which I can look to the future and say, ah, there is, in fact, the reason for being. 
There is the source of joy and rejoicing that Paul talks about here in the book to the Philippians. I'd like to give you a little formula. It's easy to remember. I always try to make it simple. It's not hard for me. So the issue is, if you can put these things in your mind and if you can retain them, I think it will be most helpful to you in finding a security and a peace of mind that overcomes the restlessness that the world seems to feel. The first thing I read in this passage is rejoice always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious for anything. Or if I can put it even more succinctly, resist anxiety. Think about that for a moment. How easy and simple it is to say, don't worry, quit stewing. That's easy to say, but not so easy to do. And so Paul says, the word here, I think, is to set one's mind in such a fashion as to leave no space for stewing or fretting. And so one of those first steps that I might be able to take to help me in an age of restlessness to find security and peace is, as a matter of fact, to resist anxiety. The scripture says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It doesn't say anything about turning tail because all of the armor is on the front when you read, put on the whole armor of God. There isn't anything guarding the back because we are to resist Satan face on. And you are to resist not only him, but anxiety. A, bi a basis, I think, must be given for such action as the rationale here noted. And this is what Paul says, the Lord is near. Now, I really don't think this is eschatological. That's a big word that means study of last times. I don't think this is looking so far as the Lord is near, he's going to come today, though I believe he could come any time. Wouldn't it be wonderful if he came while you're seated in church? Wow! Lord, look, I was there hearing your word. I was studying. I was being a part when you returned. be wonderful if he'd come like that, or perhaps at another time on Wednesday night or wherever it is that you might be in worship. You say, ha. Ah. But I don't believe that's what Paul has in mind here when he says the Lord is near. What he's really saying is that he is available. Not that he is going to drop in on us at any time, but he's available to you where you are right now. Restless, whatever it may be. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious for anything. What a beautiful passage that is. This is the sort of God that's not fully understood by the world. A personal relationship. He's not up there, out there, but he desires to be in here and a part of us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And when you pray, and I hope you pray often, we're not really praying to Jesus. We are prompted to pray by the Holy Spirit through Jesus to God, and it is God who gives the answer. How often I hear people praying irresponsibly and patting those prayers. It's so interesting to hear people who use the nominative of address and the positive thought of saying, Lord this and Lord that. Lord knows who he is. You don't even have to quote scripture to God in prayer. He wrote it. He knows it. 
You don't need to remind him. Just go ahead. Pray what's on your heart. You know, the acts, which is a very important thing. Adoration. Confession. Thanksgiving. Supplication. Acts. A-C-T-S. Easy to remember. All that should be a part of our prayer. And as we do this, we come closer into an availability, and the anxious heart and the restless soul begins to find peace. I love the song that Paul, that uh, uh, that Ted brought out for us. Even the word restlessness was in it, Ted. I don't know how you scoped that out, but good for you. I knew he was going to do pretty well when I put him under the water up there. I didn't hold him under too long. And so the first thing in this formula to overcome restlessness is, as Paul puts it, to resist anxiety. Don't succumb to it. Put your faith, because the Lord is near, so says Paul, which means he's available. A lot of things in the world say that they are available, and they really aren't. But if you can see and understand who God is and what he's about, you will know that he is there at all times, ready to hear you, ready to answer, more ready than you are to ask. And so, a good part of this formula for overcoming restlessness, lack of peace, worry, fretting, concern, is to resist that anxiety. The second thing that I want to talk to you about is found in this very beautiful thing that Paul unfolds for us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So we need to accentuate, according to Paul, prayer and thanksgiving. First of all, resist anxiety and then move into the area of accentuating Prayer and thanksgiving. You remember the old song, accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative? Well, this is sort of what's being presented here. He says, in everything make your requests known to God in prayer. And someone says, does it say that I ought to, uh, to, to uh, in everything, in prayer, uh, make my, and should I be thankful for everything? No, it doesn't say for everything, does it? Did you see there? It says in everything. There are a lot of things I'm not thankful for. I'm not thankful for war, are you? I'm not thankful for children who are born with less than the capacity that a normal child might have. I'm not really thankful for that. I'm not thankful for nations that clash and for terrorism, antagonism for all of those things which cause heartache and sadness. I'm not thankful for that. But God didn't say I had to be thankful for that. He says, in face of all these things, I can be thankful that there is a stability and there is a help and a strength that comes from God. And so this second thought is indeed to accentuate prayer. First and foremost, time spent with God in prayer is indeed a place wherein we can resist anxiety. And so it steps upon itself, one upon the other. It recognizes our own inabilities, our inadequacies, and it suggests that if we would look to the power and value of God, then within the scope of our life, there will be a deliverance from the restlessness and the lack of stability and the lack of hope and help 
that we seemingly seek and don't always find. Thankful for many things. Thankful for the love of God. Thankful for Christian people. Thankful for the church. Thankful for a home where Christ is lifted. Thankful for power of prayer through understanding of who God is and what he expects. What a beautiful thought. We ought to grasp it. And God loves you anyway. That's what my wife says. Someone says, do you love him? Me. Oh, I love him anyway, she says. What does that mean, anyway? It means he's not perfect. He falls short a lot. But anyway, I love him. God looks at us and he sees us in our impurities and he says, I love them. I did so much for them. I gave my son on the cross who gave himself in sacrifice for sin and for mankind. And I love these people so intensely that I did this and will continue to make available to them access to the throne of grace. Friends, you are invited to come boldly. Don't come with fright and fear. But Lord, you've invited me to come and here I am and I'm opening my heart to you and my heart, my mind. Thankful am I that I can come and cleanse this sordid, lurid kind of being that I tend to be. And you are there to cleanse me. You said, if I would confess my sins, you would be faithful and just to forgive me all of my sins. You cleanse me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I'm thankful for that, aren't you? Thankful that he took my sins and he buried them in the deepest sea. He separated them the far as far as the east is from the, the west. The scripture says he's taken them so far that he'll never remember them against us again. All those thoughts that weren't acceptable to God, all those words that you wish you didn't say, all those acts of unkindness and lack of gentleness, I've confessed them. And God says, if you really mean it, I'll forgive you. But if in your heart you're confessing and say, as soon as I get away from here, I'm going to do it again, that's not sincere, is it? Would those kind of things be forgiven? I'm not so sure about that. But I know if you confess and mean your confession to God, that he wipes it out. And so what are you thankful for, Harold? I'm thankful that God is a forgiving God, a loving God, a powerful God. Our God, what is he? He is, here in the city and everywhere else, a power force, to be sure. When you seek the face of God in prayer, you take steps toward gaining God's peace. You take steps in your life toward this issue of resisting anxiety and accentuating prayer and thanksgiving. When I think about this, when I take those steps, I'm understanding that restlessness can be overcome when I place my trust in fact, fa face, facts as they come to me and say, Lord, here I am, I bring you nothing else. Nothing else in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling, and I present myself to you. And the Lord says, yes, I see you, I know you, I knew you from the very beginning, I knew you before the beginning, and I loved you, and I made preparation for you. And I began to find peace and serenity in my heart when I recognized what he's done for me, and what he continues to do for me, not just yesterday, 
But today, in the present tense, and what he will do for me in the future tense, how beautiful indeed it is to know and to see that and to understand it and to recognize that God doesn't lose his power. He's always able and capable. And so the first thing I can see there is that I shouldn't be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. But then, in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present my request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Step one, step two. And then if you'll follow in this next passage, this next two verses, you're going to find what I believe indeed is how we should saturate our minds. Notice what he says. Finally, brothers. Finally. I know when pastors say that, women start slipping their shoes on and all that. Well, Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The peace of God comes from the proper control of our minds. And oh, how we need control of this apparatus in our skull. You probably are aware of the fact that those little grooves that cross your brain, the word for them is iter, I-T-E-R. And those of you who have had two years of Latin in high school know that iter means highway. And so what you have is an iter, this I-T-E-R that crosses the brain. And the more you think a thought, the deeper the groove becomes. And trying to erase those grooves is not easy. But the word of God suggests too here to us if we will resist anxiety and if we will accentuate prayer and thanksgiving and then if we will saturate our mind with these Christian virtues, the virtues which he talks about. He says, whatever's admirable, think that kind of thinking. Put that kind of process into control of your mind. Fill your thoughts with the true, the noble, the just, the pure, the lovable, the gracious, the excellent, and the admirable. A restless mind can find rest at the manger, at the cross, at the empty tomb, at the ascension, and he who is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you right now. There is peace to be found. Even our Jewish friends, when they greet each other, Salom, peace. Same for the people of the Arab thought, Shalom. In other words, peace. I hope and wish that always that was what was meant. But in the beginning, it was peace between people and peace between man and God. Fill my thoughts with these kind of thought. Think these things. If there be anything worth thinking about in our relationship with each other, in our relationship to God, then put your mind into action in these areas. Are you looking for peace? Would you like to quit worrying? Is there a desire to have the serenity and peace of mind that in the face of financial disaster, and who doesn't face in this day of insecurity a problem? Is there a 
thing that's working on you about relationships within the family. If there is a possibility that the future with employment isn't secure and you worry and are frustrated about it. And on and on the roll call goes of things that prompt us to be anxious. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and thanksgiving make your requests known unto God. And he who is near will bring peace to your heart. Lord, help us to be peaceful in our hearts and in our minds and so indicate to others that we have a security that holds us fast. Baptists of all kinds ought to know about eternal security, shouldn't they? There is security in the love and the beauty and the power of God and the understanding that this Lord who is near invites you to find peace and joy. If one has not yet found that joy in Christ, if they've not said, yes, Lord, I believe in you, what a wonderful day and time it would be right now to say, by God's grace, I'm going to accept the Lord Jesus and seek the peace that I've been unable to grasp. What a wonderful step of faith and salvation that would be. What's the formula again? Let's remind ourselves. Resist anxiety, number one. Number two, accentuate prayer and thanksgiving. Number three, saturate your mind with the Christian virtues. And power of God will come to you and peace will establish itself where before there was frustration. Pray with me, please. Lord in heaven, you've made clear to us in your word exactly what you ask of us. And by prayer and thanksgiving, we come into your presence, seeking to resist those things which would trap and ensnare us, wanting to saturate ourselves with the positive, the love, that which you have engendered within us. We give you thanks for Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Lord, for those who have not yet found you, we pray indeed, even this day and time would come to them in a desire to say yes to the living, loving Lord, in whose name we pray, amen.